All right, go ahead and grab a seat. And uh, if you have your Bible with you, we are in Acts chapter 21 this evening. <clears throat> if you don't have your Bible, don't worry. Modern technology allows us to project words onto walls. And here they are, starting in verse 8 of chapter 21 of Acts. It says this, On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. And while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. And after these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. Let's pray one more time. Lord, we are grateful for your word. God, for this book that you have given us, so much wisdom and so much truth. God, we would just pray that we would be faithful students of your word. But God, even tonight, you would push out our distractions. God, push out our worries and let us focus entirely on your word. Lord, I pray tonight that you would destroy all that I am. God, everything that I am trying to bring, God, just kill it. And let only your word go forth. God, I pray that you would use this foolish preaching to promote your gospel through the world. And God, let us hear that gospel and receive it and absorb it. That it might grow within us. That we might bear fruit and go out and share it with others. So Lord, we just we thank you for tonight. We pray that you would be stirring our hearts and you would teach us in this time. Pray it's all in your son's name. Amen. Now, when I was in college, uh, I had uh, many roommates through the years. And one of them, one of my favorites, was a guy who I'm going to refer to as Fabio because the story involves a girl. And um, this is a picture I found of him. By the way, if you look up Fabio on Google Image, the fourth result is an anti-smoking poster, just so you know. So uh, as uh, Fabio and I were living together, I discovered about Fabio, and yes, it is, lips are meant for kissing, dot, 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 which is creepy. But uh, as I was living with Fabio, uh, he was just a hopeless romantic uh, he was just one of those guys that was just always falling for a new girl uh, week after week after week. Like you just, you would just give up on trying to keep track of all the names because there was just always shifting. Uh, he would go to uh, what is now Mugwalls and he would just, you know, study. Uh, but he would, you know, take like a book or maybe like his Bible if he wanted to catch a Christian. And he would, you know, kind of like want, you know, get his drink and kind of meander over and find a friend. Uh, one, one day he actually, he legitimately used the approach 
that he went up and talked to a girl and, you know, the customary, like, oh, so what are you, what are you studying? Because she was in, in like a group with him or something. And he said, hey, I'm studying you, girl. No joke. And so, I know, it's creepy. But he, you know, went out and he was, you know, going this and he's, you know, always finding these new things, these new connections. And so I was not too surprised when he came home one time after a, after a concert that he'd gone to in Dallas and just kind of stopped me in our kitchen and said, Jacob, I, I found her. I found her, Jacob. I was like, please tell me, who did you find, Fabio? He says, the one. Because the one, Jacob, she was, in, she was like an angel. Literally, he described her as an angel. He said that she was just so amazing, so beautiful. He said, well, we were just, we have this concert, we were just connecting. It's like, we felt like we were just, we just, we were on this level. And it was just amazing. We were just talking and laughing. And he said, and during this one song, uh, while the guy was singing, it was a song about like love and all this stuff. And so I, I like was singing along and I like turned and I sang it to her during the concert. And she like smiled and it was so great. And, you know, it was totally awesome. I was like, okay, cool. I was like, so does she go to A&M, you know, or where, and Blaine, you know, I, did she come back? He's like, well, she lives in Arkansas. I was like, okay. So how's that going to work, Fabio? And he goes, well, it's like, I, I didn't get her number. I, I forgot, uh, but, but I'm going to send her a Facebook message. And I was like, okay. So he f- tried to friend her on Facebook, sent her a message at the same time, like trying to get her number and stuff. And she didn't reply for like a week. And so Fabio had another, we had another conversation. He was like, well, she hasn't replied. And I don't really know, but I'm going to send her another message. And I was like, okay, okay. So he sent her another message. No response for about another week. And then he sent her another message. And no response for another week until we're about a month later after the concert and we're sitting in our house. And he's like, well, I'm not sure what to do. And I said, give up, right? Like, stop. Stop, Fabio. Stop. Go home. Go to sleep. Like, just give up. And he would ask all of our friends. Like, he would, I just, over and over, I saw him having these conversations with, like, his friends and this guy uh, who's in his organization, like, his big brother in his organization, where he's asking him, like, I just don't know what to do. Like, she was, she was an angel, an angel. And, and he's just, like, trying to make this case. And everyone, everyone told him, no, no, Fabio, don't do it. Just stop. It's like, stop trying to contact her. It's getting weird. She obviously doesn't want to talk to you. And whatever we said, whenever, I don't know how he heard it, but it, somehow it came across in his mind as try harder. So he packed his bags and went to Arkansas for a weekend. Yes, it happened. And at this point, okay, at this point in the tale, we, we realize that we are at a fork in the road, right? Like we, we're at this point where this could end one of two ways, right? Fabio could either go to Arkansas despite all of the counsel, despite all of our advice, and he finds her and they just connect where they probably meet like at a fountain or something. Like they're both wishing for the same thing, right? Or something. And, and they just, they connect and they talk and she's like, oh my gosh, my computer, it was uh, broken. He'd be like, oh my gosh. No way. And then they would just like, you know, have this amazing connection. They would just talk for hours, right? And now they'd be like married with like eight kids. And we'd be like, isn't that crazy, right? Uh, or option two, uh, the road could go this way and we could decide or find out that Fabio went to Arkansas and it was an incredibly awkward failure, right? Either of those th- two things could have happened. Those, those are our options. And, and the truth is, is that a lot of times we find ourselves in those situations where we are getting advice to do one thing or another. 
And sometimes we take the advice, and it's so great, right? Sometimes someone tells us, hey, you should really go take this class, right? Like, this prof is awesome. So you take it, and you're like, whoa, that prof was awesome. History of ice cream, no way, that's cool, right? And, or maybe they tell you, you know, hey, look, you should totally date this girl. And so you, like, go on a date, and then it's, like, amazing. You just connect, and she's an angel, right? And, and you have this cool connection, right? Sometimes we take that advice, and it's awesome. But sometimes we take people's advice, and it's horrible, Right? Sometimes someone tells us, hey, dude, you should totally date this girl. So you go on a date, and it's just like bad, right? Just bad, horrible. I mean, th- we, we wind up in those situations because of advice. And this, on the same side, man, sometimes we hear advice, and we just ignore it, and it's great. We just we push on forward, right? Fabio goes to Arkansas, maybe meets this girl, and it's great. Man, but sometimes we ignore advice, and it ends in horrible, horrible destruction, And our problem is as we encounter these situations, we've got to realize that sometimes advice is good and sometimes it's bad. And that's just one of those things that we realize about this world. And it's tough to decide what to follow and what to forget, right? It's tough to filter out that advice. But but what's so cool about Acts 21 is that what we just saw was Paul get advice from all these other believers from all these people, all these people that loved him and cared about him, and he heard their advice and he listened to it. But yet he took it and he ignored it. And he went ahead anyway with what he was planning to do. And what we see is Paul following God. And we see it turn out well for him chapters later. We see how he was on track. And what we see more importantly is that we can tell what was driving Paul, right? It's, it's all about the motivation behind why did he neglect this advice, Right? Because it's tough. We hear advice all the time. And a lot of times it's opposite things, right? Sometimes we hear advice that says, hey, if you, you know, you, you want a date, like I had, I had a bunch of buddies in college who were obsessed with getting a date. And so they would go to these, you know, like conferences and they would like listen to all these podcasts on dating. And some of them would, afterwards they'd like come to me and be like, dude, I totally figured it out. Like all for dating, all I need to do is before I'm ready to date, I have to be ready to be single. I'm like, oh, Yeah. That's so good, right? Like the, the whole thing where they're like, man, you gotta, you're, you're okay to date when you're okay with singleness. Maybe you've got the gift. Paul. Paul did. And you're like, oh, okay. Right? Like some people, they take that. But then I would have other friends literally the same week. They would come back from the same conference and they gave me two conflicting views. Because the other guy said, yeah, guess what? I went to the conference. I just need to put myself out there more, man. I'm Ruth. I got to find my Boaz. Right? Like that's, that's what I got to do. I got to like go out and glean in this field. That's or her field. I got to glean in her field. Right? That's what I got to do. I'm like, okay, cool. But they're two completely opposite viewpoints, right? And so when we hear all of this advice from godly Christian people, man, we've got to have some sort of system to say yes to some and no to others. And we find that in Acts 21. We see Paul do that. And we've got to connect with this idea that he has this drive, this motivation, that he has this filter that he uses. But before we get into that, we've got to realize the context. Okay, so as Paul is entering into this, these, uh, what we just read, uh, basically Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. He feels led by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. Uh, he has a gift for the church in Jerusalem, uh, and he also feels that he needs to minister to the, to the people in Jerusalem. He feels like he, God is leading him to deliver a message there. He feels led by the Holy Spirit. But unfortunately for Paul, his whole trip to Jerusalem, he takes all these little pit stops along the way with people that he knew before. Uh, last week, remember, he was in Ephesus, and he talked with uh, some of the elders from the church. 
And every time he takes a pit stop, he sees these people and they tell him, Paul, stop. Stop, man. Don't go. Don't go to Jerusalem. Over and over and over again, that's what he's told by all these people that love him. That's why we see in verse 4 of 21 that after having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. We see these people who were inspired by God, right? It's not just saying that they were just self, they were evil people. They were speaking through the Spirit to Paul, telling him, don't go. Please don't go. That's why we just read in verses 11 and 12, and coming back to us, this prophet, he took Paul's belt, bound his own feet and hands, and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. This man was a prophet. God was speaking to this man, and this man was speaking to Paul. We see these Christian people giving advice, and it seems so right, right? When we read this, we almost could be conflicted. When I was first reading this, man, I was just, I was confused. I was like, well, how can this be happening? Like, how could Paul be led by the Spirit one way, but all these other people be led by the Spirit in another way. It doesn't make sense. It sounds like God is contradicting himself. But when we look closely, what we realize is that God's not contradicting himself at all. God is giving out one set of information. And the reason that there's conflict is because people are taking that information and they're applying it in two different ways. What we see is these believers who are hearing that Paul's going to suffer, right? The, what does the prophet say? He says, look, you're going to be bound up. You're going to be delivered over to the Gentiles. You're going to suffer, Paul. And when all of the, Paul's friends hear that, they take that information and they said, well, Paul shouldn't go. Paul should not go to Jerusalem because he's going to suffer. And so that's what they tell him over and over and over again. Dude, you're going to suffer. That is bad. Stay away. Get out of that situation. But Paul, man, he's heard that, right? We even just saw last week, he tells, he tells him, look, the Holy Spirit has told me I'm to expect suffering everywhere I go. But he takes that same information that, hey, Paul, you're going to suffer. And he says, okay, okay, I'll do it. I'll take it. I will suffer because I have bigger priorities. Paul says, I, you know what? I'm not going to be healthy there. I'm not going to be happy there, but that's okay. Because that's not my priority. My priority is not my own happiness or my own safety, right? All these other people were looking out for Paul, but Paul was looking out for something bigger. And the truth is that a lot of times when we're moving through life, I mean, we're going to have people who have the same information as us, and they care about us, and they love us, and they're going to apply that information to our life completely wrong. And sometimes we're going to be surrounded by the majority of people who are telling us one thing and they're wrong. They're wrong. Even though there's a lot of them, they're still wrong. When I was in first grade, we had uh, this exercise in our class where we were learning about debating and and arguments and and taking sides and voting. And so our debate one day was we were debating whether or not Santa Claus was real. The age-old question that many of us still struggle with today, right? And we were sitting there, man. We just didn't know. And so we're, we're debating back and forth. And some girl, uh, Stacy, started telling us about how, well, she heard reindeer on her roof last year. And her dad showed her some boot prints in the yard. So, yeah, I think he's real, right? 
While others of us, uh, my family person, we never did the Santa Claus thing. My, my older sister would always tell me every year, she'd say, you know what? You take Santa, you move that N, Satan. That's what that spells. <laughs> I was like traumatized, right? But, but she, my family, we just didn't do the Santa Claus thing. And so I would stand up and I'd say, well, no, like, listen, Stacy, I, I understand the reindeer, reindeer thing. I'm sorry your dad's a liar, but I mean, I'm just, that's just not the way it goes. Like, just think about the physics involved, Stacy. Like, it doesn't even make sense, right? And we have this big debate. And guess what, man, our class, after all this discussion, we voted and we decided to put our stamp of approval on the existence of Santa Claus by majority vote. That's what we decided. And I hate to break it to some of us, but that was wrong, right? He's not, he's not real. He's not. No matter how many movies they make, he's not real. And it's one of those things that, man, the majority of us, though, we were, they were so sure, but they were wrong. Uh, we're coming up to the month of May, and a lot of people are excited, in my family especially, about this show called Arrested Development that is coming back Right? It's, it's a show that it, it ran from 2003 to 2006. It had three seasons. Uh, it was just this comedy on Fox. Most people like, they don't even know what it was. But it existed. And the majority of Americans hated the show. And so they killed it. Right? It had three seasons. It was done in 06. Because the majority of Americans said, no, we don't like that. But after it went off the air, all those people were like, we're flipping out, and they were sending letters and writing stuff until here we are seven years later, and they've, Netflix has decided to make one more season of the show. They're like, all right, let's do it, because all these other people are, like, excited. And now suddenly, if you're on, like, the internet, if you're reading these blogs and stuff, everyone is so pumped about this show coming back because they all realized we were wrong, right? Like, that's, that's what this moment is. They're like, yes, redemption, right? Like, a second chance. We won't wrong you this time. Arrested development, we promise, right? Because we want you to come back so bad. Even though the majority of Americans said, nah, we're not going to watch that. So they took it off the air. Eventually, they're like, no, that was wrong of us. And it was. It was very wrong, because it's a great show. Dang it, right? So... We see these big groups. I mean, when we look in America, and we look in our history, we can see so many incredible examples of an entire nation being wrong. We look back in our history, we see the entirety of America, the majority of Americans deciding that, you know what, slavery? Yeah, stamp of approval on that. And yet none of us looking back would be like, oh yeah, well, I could see their point. No, like that's, that's wrong. That's completely wrong. And yet the majority of Americans, millions of people, said, nah, it's okay. In our world right now, there are millions of people that think slavery, whatever, cool. And we look at that and we say, no, that is wrong. There are a lot of you that say it, but it's still wrong. And that makes our decision-making process very difficult, right? It would be great it would be great is if the majority was always right. That'd be awesome. And you know what? Sometimes they are. Sometimes you should realize if there's like 100 people all telling me one answer, maybe I should listen to it, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to weigh that. I'm not just going to knock it to the side. Uh, when my friend Fabio was thinking about going you know, to see this girl, somehow to contact this girl, we all said no. Turns out, we were 100% correct in that assumption, in that advice. Because he went to Arkansas we went down this road, and he got to Arkansas, and it was one of the most awkward, horrible situations. He got there. The girl, like, avoided him for, like, the whole two days he was there. They had, like, one five-minute conversation, like, on her front porch, like, in the middle of the night, and it was just 
weird. And he came back into town. I was like, dude, told me the whole like just horrendous train wreck of a story. I was like, you know what though? No regrets. <laughs> Worth it. I said, no, no, it wasn't. That's a lie. <laughs> You stop that. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Because it was not worth it. It was a terrible situation. Because the majority of us, man, we were all saying, no, 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 no. And we were 100% right. But sometimes, sometimes we look at the majority and they are wrong. They are completely wrong. When we look at them talking to Paul, this majority of Christians who were listening to God, when they were telling Paul what they thought, man, they were wrong. They were wrong. And we know that with the benefit of hindsight, right? But it's, it's true. It, it was wrong of them to tell him not to go. And they tell him again, verse 13, where we see Paul's response, right? That's why he tells him, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Paul tries to explain to them, look, I know I'm going to suffer. I know that. I'm ready to die. I'm ready to take that up a notch. He says, I'm not just going to suffer. I mean, I would die for the gospel. And he does. But he tells them, I'm willing to do that. So stop. Stop breaking my heart. Stop weeping for me. Because I'm ready for this. Because Paul realized that he obeys God before he obeys men. Because even though their priority was Paul's safety, Paul's priority was God's glory. That's what he cared about. Because he realized there was something bigger than just his happiness. There was something bigger than him being in prison or out of prison. Paul had these bigger priorities. And that's why we see over and over again in his epistles, him stressing this idea that, look, I have a number one priority of God's glory, and that's it. I don't care if I suffer. That's why he says in 2 Corinthians, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We see in Romans, he says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Paul's trying to show his friends the same thing that God was trying to show them, right? God wasn't just trying to mess with everybody's mind. He wasn't just trying to say like, hey, tell Paul not to go. Hey, Paul, still go. <laughs> Why? That's not, that's not like his joke. It's like, oh, you goofs. Like, that's not what God's doing. He's trying to teach them an important lesson. He's saying, look, watch Paul do what he does. He's saying, look, how, look at Paul's priorities. Look at the fact that Paul was willing to suffer for me. He's trying to teach these early believers that we need to trust God's direction despite the suffering we will encounter. Because what God was trying to tell them and show them over and over and over again in the book of Acts is you will suffer for him. If you are walking in obedience with God, if you're trying to follow God's direction in your life, you are guaranteed to suffer. Christ said it. Paul says it. Every stinking book in the New Testament tells us that. You're going to suffer for the sake of Christ. It's going to happen. Because when we are obeying God, we're going to clash with two big areas. I mean, we're going to clash with culture. We're going to. If you're following God, you're going to clash with our culture. Back then, uh, in the Roman Empire, in this early church time, one of the common terms assigned to Christians was they were called atheists. 
The Romans would call them atheists because the Romans, remember, they stole all the Greek gods. And so because of that, they had all these gods. And anytime the Romans took over a new group of people, a lot of times they would just kind of grab a few of their gods and just throw them up there. And so they had this huge catalog of deities, these gods and demigods and, and all these beings who ruled over them, right? Like Zeus and Apollo uh, and you know, Athena and all these different people. They had different names. But they lifted them up and they said, these, these are the gods. And yet a Christian would walk along and say, well, I just, I worship Yahweh. Like I have, I have a God. I have the God. And the Romans would look at him and say, well, you're an idiot, right? Like that's, that's ridiculous. There's like 200 gods. You're worshiping one <laughs> foolish little Christian. And then they would call them atheists. They would say, you don't believe in the gods. What's wrong with you? That's why whenever things would go wrong in the Roman Empire, they would always cry out and they would hate the Christians because they're atheists. They don't believe in our gods, the God that's supposed to give me rain. Well, we're in the middle of a drought, so it must be the Christians' fault because they're atheists. They don't believe in our God and they're making our gods angry. So we need to punish them. We need to kill them to appease our gods. They hated Christians because they only believed in this one God. And man, our culture, we're in the same situation. I had a prof at DTS who was talking through an intro to theology class. And he kind of, to rile us up one day in class, he, he gave us this idea. He said, you know what? He said, when you think about modern culture, and you think about like ancient Rome, he said, we're so similar why? Because ancient Rome had all these gods that they would lift up, that they believed in, that they put their faith in, that explained everything in their lives. He says, you know what we have now? Science. He says, we have science that we've lifted up. We've decided there's all these scientific principles and theories and laws that are absolutely correct. And these people are putting their faith in them, even though a lot of it is not absolute. I don't know if you realize this. You probably learned it in college. I did. That Newtonian physics... They're not real. They don't work. They get by. That's why we still teach it in school. But the, you know, the first law of motion, second law of motion, all those sorts of things, nope. Those were disproven with Einstein. Law of relativity, pff, that wiped out all of the physics up to that point. And yet, science still says, no, 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 no. We'll, we'll still call them laws because it's pretty close. Right? They'll, they'll admit, they're like, well, it's not absolute. We found that out. Okay. But it's pretty close. You'll get most of the right answers as long as you're not in like super crazy stuff. So we'll just, we're still going to hold it up there. Ah, Newton, the apple, right? They still, they still hold that up. Our culture, I mean, they hold up this idea of evolution, of macroevolution. Because they took microevolution, they said, well, you know, a white moth could, you know, transition. It could turn into a gray moth over time as the white ones get eaten and the gray ones survive, right? We, we see that. And so let's go ahead and say, not only can a white moth turn into a gray moth, but also a white moth could turn into, uh, you know, a mountain lion. And that's what they decided. And there really is this leap. And there are all these scientific, scientific people who aren't even motivated by faith or anything else. Scientific people who are like, man, we're making some pretty big leaps, in this theory, in this theory of evolution. Yet if I were to go out and start telling people, no, 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 I'm a creationist, proud of it, evolution, you know, macroevolution, we still have no proof about it, there's all these things that are wrong with it, and I try to say that, the world will strike me down. Our culture will just riddle me with insults. And they'll tell me, you're just a backwoods, mixed up, stupid Christian. You're letting faith rule your life and what in the world? Even though... They're relying on their own faith in science. Because as I'm following God, as I'm obeying God, man, I'm going to clash with my culture. It's unavoidable. And Paul says, you know what? 
worth it. Worth it. And that's what he was trying to teach his friends. Because, you know, the truth is, is that we're not only going to clash with our culture and following God, but we're going to clash with other Christians. It's just going to happen. Uh, when I was graduating from college, I had the plan to go on to seminary, uh, to move up to Dallas. Uh, my uh, then fiance and I uh, were going to get married soon. She was going to be done with A&M. Uh, and so we were going to move up to Dallas, and I was going to start full-time being a student up there. I'd worked at Grace for about a year part-time and had this great plan that all set out. Uh, but as the time kind of rolled around, uh, God just kind of orchestrated a few events and moved me in a direction to where I felt like I was led to stay at Grace and work in junior high ministry for another year. So I said, okay. So I decided to do that. And my parents, they were a little upset because both my parents were professors at A&M. And so they, you know, were big on grad school and big, big and all that stuff. And they had seen people who like wanted to do continuing education, but just kind of fall off along the way. And so they were worried about me. They're like, well, you're going to, like, you might need to go to seminary now. Like, if you don't go now, like, I don't know what's going to happen, Jacob. You're wash up in a ditch somewhere. Like, I don't know. Like, they had these horrible ideas of what was going to happen to me if I didn't go immediately. But I didn't. I stayed. I was, you know, I was supporting myself. They weren't, they weren't supporting me in any way. Like, they, you know, and they were saying, okay, you know, that's, that's fine. Like, we're okay with your decision, I guess. Still wringing their hands. And that exact situation happened a couple more times uh, where Susan and I were going to leave, go to seminary, and yet something would pop up, and I stayed. And I stayed and worked with junior high a little bit more. And I stayed and I worked over uh, youth at Southwood. And now I'm staying to work with college. And every time my parents were just, I don't know. And my parents love God. They love me. And what was really great, though, was with this last transition about six months ago, when I told my parents, hey, I'm, I'm going to stick around. I'm going to be working with our college ministry. My parents were like, awesome. Like, great. They're like, you know, Jacob, we, we've seen what God's been doing. We see what God is, where God's taking you. And you know what? We were, we were absolutely wrong to go against that earlier. Like we were motivated, you know, we wanted you to have these certain things and we wanted you to meet these certain checklists, but you know what? We were wrong. We were wrong. And we are so glad to see God use you in these ways that we wouldn't have never expected. But there was still that conflict, man. We still had that. We butted heads that a lot of us have probably experienced, whether it was in picking our major picking the person that maybe we're going to marry, picking the job afterwards. We have probably talked with Christian people that we love, that love us. And yet something about that decision is just not quite clicking. Right? We will encounter that problem. Even the fact that we're all sitting here in a non-denominational church. Right? We, we are most closely associated with Protestants. Right? You know why we're called Protestants? Because at one point we protested. That's where Protestant comes from. The protesting people. And when we look back at the Protestant, uh, at the Reformation, I mean, we see someone like Martin Luther, who's got the best, like, ladies look I've ever seen. <laughs> We've got Martin Luther, who was persecuted. Man, he was going up and he was saying, no, I don't think we need to give indulgences. I don't think grace works that way. I think instead we need to go this direction. He was following God's lead. And you know who he hit heads with over and over and over again? Christians. And were some of them probably wrongfully motivated and not really believers? Sure. Is that how they're painted in like every story or movie of him? Yeah. But were there also legitimate believers who felt they were doing God's will by opposing this man who seemed like a heretic? Absolutely. There was conflict within Christian circles. In fact, when he was saying the things that he was saying, people were at one point during a famous debate, they said, what you sound like, huss. 
said, Martin Luther, you sound like Huss. They were referring to a guy in the 1400s who came before Martin Luther, who Martin took a few of his ideas from this guy, John Huss. He's a bohemian, Eastern Europe. And this man, you can probably tell based on the picture what happened to him, he was burned at the stake, right? And his hair went like super saiyan. I don't know what's going on, but he was burned at the stake by like angry mobs of like people that were like, we hate your God. No, by Christians because he disagreed with the Pope. He disagreed with papal authority. He disagreed with these different things that were in the church. And so some false believers, sure. Some legitimate believers definitely opposed him and hit heads with him because as we are following God's will, as we're being directed in his path, we are going to have conflict. We're going to have suffering with the culture around us and with the, with the Christians in our midst. It's coming. And Paul realized that and he tried to impress that on his friends. And man, I would just challenge you, are, are you really grasping that? Are you willing to encounter that suffering? Are you willing to talk about Jesus with that, your lab partner, even though it might be awkward? Are you willing to invite that friend to go to breakaway with you, even though they might say no? Are you willing to step out in that way? Are you willing to love your brother enough to have that tough conversation with him if he's in sin? Are you willing to engage in that conflict? Because Paul was. Paul said, you know what? If it's for the glory of God, I don't care what happens. That needs to be our attitude. That needs to be our vision. And Paul was able to say that man, because he knew that God's plans are best. Because Paul realized that God is in control. And this is something we talked about about a month ago. The fact that even though this world gets confusing around us, that God is in control. And Paul realized that because you know what? He goes to Jerusalem. And sure enough, you know what happens? He suffers. Even though he takes advice of people in Jerusalem to go and perform this ceremony in the temple to try to uh, kind of pacify some of the Jews in the area, even though he does that, he still suffers because God said, you know what? You're going to suffer. Nothing you do is going to change that, Paul. It's coming. You're going to face his suffering. And yet in the midst of this angry mob that grabs Paul, take him off, they're going to murder him. In the midst of that, he's peaceful. He's calm. Because he had a higher priority than his own safety, than his own comfort. He cared about God's glory. And that's so crucial because no matter how much planning we do, no matter how much we stress about what's going to happen or what we're going to do or how we're going to prepare, what kind of job are we going to take, you know what? No matter what we plan, we will never be able to predict what happens. We don't know what's down the road. Even though my wife and I, man, we've had plans. We're going to move here. We're going to do this. I'm going to take this job. You're going to go to this school. Over and over and over again, God's like, nope, 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 nope. Just spraying us with a water bottle on our face. Saying, nope, nope, nope. That's not what you're doing. He's changed our plan so many times. I give up because that's what God's trying to be doing to me. He says, you know what? You need to give up because I'm in control. We have no idea what lies ahead of us. You don't even know what's going to happen to you when you leave this room tonight. And because of that, we need to give up on trying to make our plans and have our things that we want to accomplish. And instead, we just give it to God. And we say, you know what, God? I want to glorify you. And that's going to be my priority, no matter what the advice I'm being given. I'm here to glorify you because I don't know what's going to happen. I can't. I, I was a history major at A&M. And because of that, uh, I, had, I learned so many awesome uh, stories just about kind of historical figures. One of my favorites was a guy named uh, John Sedgwick. 
Uh, he was a general uh, or a major general in uh, the Civil War. He fought for the Union. Uh, and John Sedgwick, he had this one famous event, this, this battle, where he was in charge of the artillery group, uh, where these men were going out and they were, you know, using the cannons and like loading them and shooting them off and shooting them at this battlefield. And yet in the midst of this duty that he had to perform, uh, his men started hiding behind rocks and acting skittish because there were Confederate snipers uh, about a thousand yards away. And they were shooting at him and they could hear the bullets like whiz by or ping off stuff. And so John went up to his troops and said, what are you doing? He says, what are you doing? And he, and he told them, literally, he says, what? Men dodging this way for single bullets? What will you do when they open fire along the whole line? <laughs> That's I imagine him saying afterwards. <laughs> With a cigar or something, right? And he says, you know, he starts making fun of them. And one of the guys gets up and he, and he tells him, look, hey, listen, uh, you know, commander, uh, earlier in the battle, I, I promise, like, I totally would have died except I had behind a rock. I was this close to death. And John goes, ah, whatever, right, or whatever the equivalent was back then. He says, ah, poppycock. Like, that, of course that didn't happen. So that, no way. And so instead he says, you know what, I'm, get everyone together. And he rallies up the troops again. And he goes up to him and he stands in front of them all and he says again, I am ashamed of you. They couldn't hit an elephant at this distance. Boom. Then he gets shot and killed instantly. Instantly. As soon as he says it, just bullet right to the head and he's dead. Right? If you go to the battlefield, you'll see there's this awesome like granite memorial built in his honor. And rather it being like John Sedgwick was a, an excellent general who did all these things. Like the only thing on his plaque is this story I just told you. And that quote, they couldn't hit an elephant at this distance. Dead. Like, that's, that's it. Because John Cedric, man, he had all these plans. He was like, we're going to do this. And no, who cares about those snipers? And you know what? In the most ironic death of the Civil War, boom, he gets hit and he gets killed. Because we have no idea what's coming. We don't. But we know that God does. That's why we take comfort in the fact that God tells us that he is in control. While we take comfort in the fact that God tells us in Romans 8, 28, that God works all things for the good of those who love him. To those called according to his purposes, right? We see this God who's in control, who loves us. That's why a month ago, when we were talking about Paul trying to go up into Asia and getting knocked down, and he tries to go up here, and God says, no. Paul was okay with it because he had the same priority. His priority was God's glory, not his plan, not his peace, not his comfort, not his safety, God's glory. And with that as his number one priority, listening to advice, weighing it, filtering it was easy. Because no matter what he was being told, no matter how many people were telling him, he always held it up against, what does God want me to do? Where is God leading me? How can God be most glorified in this? That's why to wrap up, as we're thinking about how are we going to apply this principle? When we see a few things, as you're thinking about the advice that you've been given, consider where's the source? I mean, if, if someone is telling me to do something, what do they really know about it? Is this a mature, wise believer? Right? Or is this just someone around you who maybe is just as lost as you? If you're hearing you know, dating advice from some friend who's never really had a, you know, a long relationship, uh, you know, you, you've got this friend who maybe would drive all the way to Arkansas for a completely lost cause. Are you going to take dating advice from that person? Probably not, right? Because that's not exactly a reliable source. 
Although Fabio is married right now, so happy ending. But you want to ask yourself, what, what is the source? And, and what is their motivation, right? Are they concerned for me? Are they concerned about God's will? Is this a believer that I'm talking to? Do they have these same motivations? And how does it fit with Scripture? I mean, this is possibly the most important one, right? Whatever advice they're giving me, whatever their direction they're leading me in, how does this line up with what I know is true, what I see in my Bible? How does that fit with this advice? And a great piece to always remember is, where does this advice lead me? Where does this counsel send me? Where am I going to wind up if I go down this path? They want me to take this certain job. I mean, well, what city am I going to be living in? What, what's my fellowship going to look like? What's, what's this whole situation going to look like? And, and, you know, am I going to be able to glorify God? And do I feel like I'm ready to step out on my own into a city that I don't know anyone? Do I feel like that's where I'm most effective for God? If not, then, man, well, maybe you need to reconsider. If someone's telling you you should date this girl or date this guy, well, is he a believer? Like, where's that going to take you? If, if you guys become serious, do you really line up with his beliefs and his values? You've got to consider these things. And as you do, you're taking it all in light of that one important question that Paul would ask himself. What is God calling me to do? Where does God want me? Because ultimately, he's the one that knows where things are headed. We don't. So I'm going to trust him. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are so great, so mighty, and yet, God, that you love us so much that you are willing to walk with us through these difficult times, God, through these decisions, that, God, you're willing to pick us up over and over and over again as we fall God, we just pray that as you have put counsel into our life, but we pray that we would listen well to those wise around us, to those who have insight, valuable words, but God, we pray that we would never let those things direct our life and that instead we would only be directed by you. That God, even when the majority is telling us where to go, that God, we would always, always follow your lead first. So if you would, just take a moment and pray to him. Pray to God and just ask him where you're being led. Maybe even tonight there was one decision that just popped into your mind as soon as we started talking about it as counsel. Maybe you, were, you met with someone right before service. Maybe you're going to meet someone after this. And just ask God to give you direction in that area. Ask him that he would reveal to you how he would be most glorified in whatever you decide. Ask him that he would guide you and direct you. Whether it's through counsel or through scripture or just through this prayer right now. Just seek his will right now.